got your outline, you want to take that out, that'd be fantastic. Again, the reason why we encourage you to engage with the Word of God is so you have a greater chance of applying the Word of God. So we're going to look today at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 25. And if you have your Bibles, pull them out. It's a great thing. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you don't, the outline will help you. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever bought a car, a second-hand car, and you end up with a lemon? Anybody ever know that? Or know somebody who's done that? Exactly. You see, common rip-offs like that, oh, it's great, you know, no problems at all. And next minute the gearbox falls out or there's a problem, whatever, with the bearings, whatever it may be. Common rip-offs like that are very easy to recover from. But it's much more difficult to endure something when it becomes very personal. Now, unfairness is what we're going to be addressing today. Because everyone who is in this room has been touched by unfairness. It's part of the human condition. And you and I can't live on this planet long. Even kids in primary school will realize you can't live on this earth very long until you start feeling like somebody has treated you unfairly. And it's a tough thing to swallow. When people hurt you, they'll often expect you to retaliate. They expect you to seek revenge. That's the way of the world. Let me be clear about that. Revenge is the way of the world. You may want to write that down somewhere to remind you in a few simple words. Revenge is the way of the world. Because God wants you to do the exact opposite. Surprise, surprise. The way of the world is antithetical to the way of God. He wants you to respond in love. Now, there are many passages we could have gone to for that today. Many will spring to mind. So here's the deal. If you ever caught the brunt of a raw deal, you are in good company. Don't feel, oh, oh, woe is me, it's just me. I'm getting picked on. You're in good company. As Joshua mentioned, David had only ever done good to Saul. In fact, he nuked Goliath, who was nine feet tall, by the way. And if you want to look into the archaeology, look into the archaeology today of the Amalekites and see how tall those brutes were. Up to nine feet. Some of those guys. He's from the tribe of Gath. There's a lot of archaeology around that you can dig into. So David had only ever done good to Saul. But in return, he was hunted down like a dog. Like, like game. For between 10 and 14 years of his life, he ran for his life, living in the bush. That's what he did. Another good example of somebody who got something he didn't deserve. It was unfair treatment. And that happens in your own family. Some of you have been treated unfairly in your own family. Good example of that, the classic probably, the epitome of that would be Joseph. Joseph had done nothing wrong. His father screwed up. Never treat your children with partiality. Do not favor children. That is not your portion. You will damage them. How do I know that? Because God says, with God, there is no partiality. And if you want to be like your heavenly father, you treat your children equally. You love them equally. They may not all love you back the same. In fact, some of them may not like you at times, right? But as the adult in the room, as the Christian adult, 
you and I are called to love our children like God loves them, without partiality. So Joseph was betrayed by his brothers because of his father's faux pas. And Job got a really raw deal from the Sabians and the Chaldeans, forgotten and rejected. So when somebody unjustifiably for you slanders our reputation, that can be unfair. Or gossips behind your back and says things which are completely false. That can get your ire up, right? And you can want to level it out. Somebody who, even worse, when somebody threatens you, that's when things can get nasty. Much to my shame, God forgive me. Here's me, one of the top sales executives for a particular organization. And one day, this punk of an analyst really got me mad. And I don't get mad. That's my wife. In all my time, I've been married to my wife. Do I get mad? No. That's not me. For whatever reason, he was leaning over the desk at me, like about this far from my face. And so I got his tie, and I yanked it so hard, he saw stars because his chin hit the desk. <laughs> well, next minute, the managing director comes and says, in there. Not the best to be fighting in the middle of an office, especially executives. Anyway, I learned from that. That was my last faux pas, and that was about 35 years ago. <laughs> the Bible, though, does not ignore being victimized. It doesn't ignore that. It's a hard subject, but it doesn't ignore it. Our knee-jerk reactions normally come that, to unfair, react, uh, unfair treatment, typically falling to three categories. The first one is the aggressive pattern. Guess which one I was just doing? <coughs> the aggressive pattern. And that's placing the blame on others a lot of the time. Placing the blame on others. The aggressive, you know, <laughs> your fault and really going after them. That type of mentality. Focusing on the person who's done us wrong. And doing whatever it takes to get or exact revenge. Now it may not be as blatant as what I did 35 years ago. <laughs> But it can be aggressive, plotting in your mind. The second pattern is a passive pattern, Ugh. feeling sorry for ourselves. Now, we, we may embrace the passive pattern of feeling sorry for ourselves by becoming absorbed in self-pity. That's how it looks. And whining. This is how it shows up in your family and those who watch. You're whining about your plight. Not doing anything to them, but you're whining around. There's a... A bit of a funny stench around the place at home, you know? You're in a bad mood. Three. The third way of often doing it is that like the holding pattern. And that's postponing up here. I'm not dealing with that now, but underneath you is seething. That's a typical reaction. You put your emotions on the back burner. You have a calm appearance on the surface, but underneath you are furious. Now, all of these are natural reactions from a human standpoint. And they make sense, don't they? Huh? They make sense perfectly. But that's all they are. Natural human reactions. That's it. That is the way the world deals with it. Now, on the other hand, here we come to our text. The Apostle Peter offers a supernatural and a divine alternative that honors God. That's what I'm interested in. Honoring God. Now let me warn you ahead of time. This is like a warning, warning, before we enter this. Peter, he's going to give us some strong examples of unfair treatment. Some of you are going to get offended as we read through the text because they are very strong examples. 
of unjust treatment. And probably you'll find that his examples will outweigh most of our petty grievances that you and I have today. And the effect is this. This is the implication. It will strip us of any paltry excuse to move to those default three knee-jerk reactions. That's what it's going to do. So remember that Peter's purpose in writing this letter is to point his readers to Jesus Christ, the true source of hope in hurtful times. Now, background. Remember, these Christians were scattered. They were mistreated. Some of them were imprisoned and enslaved. They're being rejected by their family members. That can hurt when your daughter rejects you. When your son-in-law and you are at war. In this case, it was over Christianity. At war. Been rejected under attack by law enforcement officers who were supposed to protect them. And all of them throughout the empire were living under this crazy, insane guy. You got the side, are they, Chris? Nero. That's him. He was insane. Cruel, very cruel, not pleasant character at all. So 1 Peter is going to remind us how to press on even though we're feeling ripped off. And as we dive into 1 Peter, don't expect to find any of those three knee-jerk, unbiblical, worldly reactions that we've just described. But instead, you're going to see the biblical alternative to dealing with unfair treatment when you're feeling like you're being ripped off. And by the way, one last warning before we dive in. No counselor that you will ever go to will recommend this. Completely different counsel from the word of God. Because this counsel honors God. Now, what honors God is first of all contained in the command. There's a command coming up. This isn't optional. This is the command from God's word. The command. Remember the context. Oppressive king. Uh, emperor in this case. Various level. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. This is 1 Peter 2.13. To every human institution. Whether to a king as one in authority. Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So he says here, submitting to human government. And we've seen that in many places. Jesus was asked about that. Remember Matthew 22, 21. When you're talking about taxes, and what did he say? Somebody going to tell me what he said? Render to Caesar what's due to Caesar. Not what we're ripping off Caesar, but do it. And then render to God what is God's. So Jesus didn't duck that. Submitting to human government involves prayer, sincere prayer for rulers and authority over us. How long is it since you sincerely prayed for Jacinda Ardern and not just disrespected her, bad-mouthed her? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that she was brought up a Mormon. Irrespective. Wouldn't matter if she's brought up a witch. We're commanded 
to pray for rulers in authority over us. Are you doing that? Is that something that you can apply the word of God to? Thirdly, submitting to human government means that we live honorably and peacefully in their realm. You'll find that in Romans 13, 1 through 7. So Peter insists, what he's saying here, he's insisting to his reader and to us as believers to live as model citizens, not social rebels, loudmouths and misfits. He's not saying that at all. And especially not anarchists, as we've seen happening in some places around the world. So Peter insists his readers and us as unbelievers are model citizens, regardless of the or regardless of the corruption that's in that system. Regardless of that. He puts no caveat there. Regardless of the idolatry, because that was what was happening in his realm. We like to give, oh, well, I can't do that because of this. Uh Uh-uh. You find that in Scripture. It's not there. See, he's saying the existing authorities are to be respected and supported. I'll get to that in a minute. But why? Why? Why should I do that? Next verse. Here's the reason. Verse Peter 2.15. For such is the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is. Well, (laughs) right there is the will of God in black and white. Such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So what the context of this was, is baseless rumors have been flying around about Christians. They're a rebellious sect. They're grandstanding. They're trying to subvert the, the emperor. They're causing trouble. They're loyal to a different king. Now, in that sense, they were right on the last one. Definitely right there. They want to overthrow the government, was the rumor, which is not true. It took even the disciples a while to figure out that the answer is not political. Never will be political. So by submitting voluntarily, by doing what is right before God and people, they would muzzle the mouths of those spreading such vicious rumors and erroneous rumors. Now behind Peter's command to submit in chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, and his reason, so the command and the reason, there's a very important principle. And the principle about our attitude in submission. Now, in today's context, you and I submit to the prime minister, even though we may or may not have voted for her, her party or her policies. And we submit to the decisions of lawmakers even though we think their laws are sometimes senseless and excessive or short-sighted. So in short, we submit not because we are blind nationalists, but because we are bond slaves of God. And that's as well. Our obligation is to serve him and to live in such a way as we bring honor to his reputation in the world. Now, in most respects of daily life, it's possible and desirable in most respects for Christians to live according to the law of our land. But obviously, he was never telling believers to compromise their consciences. There will come a time when we say no. Today, some Christians, like in New Zealand, live in relative freedom, while others live under repressive authoritarian governments. 
let me clarify something. All are commanded to cooperate with the rulers as far as conscience will allow, so far as it will. We are to do for the Lord's sake so that his good news and his people will be respected. Remember, somebody's watching. If we are persecuted, it shall be for obeying God, not for breaking moral or civil laws. There's a big difference here. Now, with this principle come seven brief commands in rapid succession. It's like a machine gun. All contained in 16 through 17. Number one, verse 16, act as free men. Command. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Two, but use it as bondslaves of God. Three, here are four, honor all men. Four, five, love the brotherhood. Six, fear God. And seven, honor the king. What? We could spend a week in that. Verse 16, let's pull it apart a bit. Our freedom in Christ should not be used to, as a cover to do whatever the heck we like with our lives. To indulge our own desires and to misspend our lives and our time on things which are not focused on building his kingdom, which will have no end. It, we're not to have an add-on, an add-on Christianity. To what we're already committed. Well, I'm doing this with my life. And oh yeah, that Christian thing sounds pretty good. I'll just add it on to my life. And if I have some time, I will give a little time to that. That is nothing like what Jesus is talking about. That's not the real thing. Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. But they'll say, depart from me. What? So they heard. But you go back and look at that, Matthew 5. Christians are to use this freedom, on the other hand, as a tool for exuberant service for his kingdom. That's what we're to use our, tool, our time for. It's a foundation that God gives us to reach our highest potential. Verse 17, these last 11 words, and I looked at them very carefully this week, are a very tough balancing act. Aren't they? These last 11 words. We are to honor and respect all people regardless of their lifestyle. Did you hear that? Regardless of their lifestyle. Honor and respect them. Verse 17. All their attitudes towards Christians. You find somebody that doesn't like Christians. Not hard to find these days. You are still commanded to respect them. Don't wipe the floor with them. Speak derogatorily, or, you know, in derogatory terms about them, either in front of them, or when you've gone. But give an answer with gentleness and respect. And if you can't do that, then that's okay. Walk away gently. At the same time, he says here, we must love the family of God, regardless of nationality or culture. That's one of the things I thank God for in our church. We have all sorts of nationalities, colors and sizes. That's great. That's how it's meant to be. And the laws be... As long as I'm the pastor of New Hope Community Church, because that's what's going to be in heaven. Every tribe, nation, and tongue will be in heaven. So this is how it is. And by the way, whilst I'm on that, can I just propose something to you just to think about? Not time to drill into it now. There'll be never any reconciliation in human institutions. The only reconciliation that'll ever work is in Jesus Christ. That's the only time it'll ever work. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked. Huh? He says, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. You know that Jews wouldn't even sit near Gentiles? You get out of there, man. They wouldn't even sit near them. That's how strong it was in those days. 
but in Christ, we are one. That is the only solution. Political solutions will never work. So, at the same time, we must love the family of God regardless of nationality or culture. Now notice, it's not enough just to show honour or respect, though, to the family of God. Yes, so hold on. That may be convicting. It's not enough just to show honour and respect to the family of God. Far more is expected. Brotherly love. What does that mean? That's all the one another's in Scripture. Support one another. Hold it. Stop. Right there. Let's just take that one. How are we supporting our brothers and sisters in Jesus? Or are we too busy with our own preoccupation, the add-on Christianity, that we are, don't have time or don't make time? What about helping one another? When was the last time you helped somebody outside your family? Protect one another. Share with one another. Thank you for your trailer, Martin. Fellowship with one another. Is it a priority? Pray. When was the last time you prayed with other believers? Worship together. When was the last time you worshipped with other believers? Apart from church, take church out of it. Church as in Sunday morning. What about church in the week? What about the church that meets in your bed? For those of you who are married. That's church. Where two or three are gathered. Love is the very opposite of criticizing and backbiting. Martin's got a new way of thinking about church. Let's go to church, hon. <laughs> Sorry, Martin. <laughs> I just loved your smile. Love is the very opposite of grumbling. See, God is interested in our behavior. A murmuring. Love is the opposite of being divisive. If you catch your tongue being divisive, stop it. David said, Lord, put a guard at my mouth. So you don't say anything. It gets out that you're not supposed to be saying. Put a guard. If it's going to be grumbling or divisive or murmuring, we are to love the brotherhood. One will never truly respect people until we reverence God. If you reverence God, you will never be disrespecting other people. You may want to think about that one. That's powerful. You will never truly reverence, excuse me, respect people until we reverence God. And God must have our reverence. And that means our awe. And that leads to obedience. Treating His will as supreme. It overrules mine and yours. But we also must honour the king, who may in fact hate us. Right now it's not that extreme in this country, yet. It is in many other lands. That's why we are a keen supporter of the persecuted church. The king may hate even his own people and be corrupt and hate God. But the Bible never suggests that earthly rulers will be perfect. Never. That will be naive. And our, our civil um, submission is not conditional upon our government modeling Christian virtue or reflecting Christian morality. Dream on. That ain't going to happen. Remember in Peter's day, the empire wasn't exactly benevolent towards Christians. There wasn't a pro-Christian monarchy. In fact, here's a part that would really stick in your craw. A significant percentage of taxes Christians paid supported the construction of pagan temples. Huh? That'd be hard to swallow, right? 
So this this what happens, then you start to justify why you should be shading your taxes. I am paying for that. Another portion of uh, the, the taxes went to fund unjust wars, cruel wars. And don't forget that the insane dictator Nero was vindictively opposed to Christians. Now, this combination poses a dilemma for Peter and, the, and his readers. How in the world does one honour all people, love the brethren, fear God, and honour that particular king? That's quite a balancing act, right? Shouldn't they refuse to pay taxes that support such a, an oppressive regime? Or... Maybe we should take up arms and resist such a leader. Peter said, no, 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 no. Nowhere in scripture are revolt and anarchy promoted. It doesn't exist. But Peter's call to submit, to establish government, a system for maintaining order, does not mean that God endorses every particular ruler. Neither does he approve of particular laws that stand in defiance against his will. And by the way, believers, let me be clear, are not obligated to follow such laws that conflict with his clearly revealed will. Acts 5.29. You want to write that down. Go look at that this week. In fact, that happening. Acts 5.29. Peter had told the high priest earlier, we must obey God rather than human authority when it contradicts God's clearly revealed will and purpose. He said, shut up, or we'll throw you in jail. He said, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen. Remember? Nor are they instructed to keep silence in the face of obvious social and political injustices. Mark 6, verse 7 through 18, I'll show you this, where John calls out Herod with his adulterous relationship. He calls him out on what happened to him. Somebody tell me? Yep. Sorry for those of you who knew, that means he's dead. <laughs> Lost his head. <laughs> so in cases where God has given his people, uh, his people a command, like preaching the gospel and shunning idolatry, believers must obey God rather than human leaders. And here's the part that's going to hurt. Be ready to suffer the legal and employment consequences of standing up for godly beliefs. That's what he's saying. Ready to suffer the legal consequences for that disobedience and outspoken criticism. Our responsibility to submit to human government and our response to the evil of that same government are matters we must approach wisely, carefully, and prayerfully. And only God's given wisdom can help us live appropriately in this tension, which there is a clear tension. Leaving the larger issue of submission to government authority, now Peter gets real personal. We have to deal with it. It's sitting in the text. We can't skip over that. Specifically, the example, or an example, of submission common in the first century, and that was of servants or slavery. Okay? There it is, servants. Specifically addressing Christians who are now servants in pagan, pagan homes. These folk were semi-permanent slaves. 
Now, it would be incorrect of us to understand slavery in Peter's day as similar to the disgusting system in modern history. That would be wrong. Do not equate those two words, the same words, but very different contexts. Or to the deplorable underworld of slave trafficking in our own days. This is nothing like this. In Peter's day, let me help paint the picture. A slave, it didn't have, a slave did not have legal or economic right, a freedom. But, I'm going to tell you, they were often paid for their services and could eventually hope to purchase their freedom. Now, roles could be as tough as on the coal face of a mine, or they could be doctors. A slave is a doctor, or a teacher, or a very fine cook, and they were paid for those services. There's estimates, uh, William Barclay estimates, between 35 and 40% of the population, it was like a social class back in the day. So that could be up to about 55 million slaves or servants we're talking about. It was a social class, just to put the context there, accurately. Let's pick it up. Now we dial, so we've gone for the government, we're dropping down to the personal level now. Here it is, First Peter 2, 18. Servants... Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. Well, that's a hard one. 19. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly, what credit is, excuse me, for what credit is there if when you sin, you are harshly treated? You will endure it with patience, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For, ooh, 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 this last part's a bit of a, you've been called for this purpose. Verse 18, let's drill down quickly. Verse 18, in our contemporary culture, we may even say, employees, be subject to your bosses. Now, knowing that the human tendency is to rebel against unfair treatment, right? Peter urges Christians here to submit to their masters, even to those who are unreasonable. Now, it will be easy for them to submit to masters who are gentle and kind, but Peter encourages loyalty and perseverance, even in the face of unjust treatment. Admittedly, that is a hard load to bear. But Peter's exhortation to submission makes sense when we connect it to our calling. There's a do not disconnect those. If you do, it'll be pointless. You need to connect it to your calling to shine as reflections of Christ's character in a dark and godless world, which is exactly what he says this is. So Peter gives us a clear picture of what it looks like. Verse 18, Christian servants are submissive with all respects to their masters. Verse 19, Christians bear up under sorrow when they suffer unjustly. Mature Christians aren't whining and crybabying. 20, Christians do good when they suffer for it. And they bear the suffering patiently. And Christians do not return evil for evil. Huh, I think I remember somebody else saying that somewhere. Yeah? 
When reviled, do not revile back or threaten back, which is our natural, worldly, fleshly approach. This is a godly approach we're interested in. In other words, Christians are not defiant or insolent. They have a spirit of meekness. Now, let me define meekness. You need to put this down somewhere so we get this word right. Meekness is strength under control. It's not weakness. Meekness is never weakness. Meekness equals strength under control. It would have been really easy for the slave who became a Christian to think, Yeah, Christianity gives me a freedom to get out of this lot and to break from their masters. However, Scripture, this may shock some of you, isn't immediately concerned with changing the social order, but more ultimate priority was to change the human heart. That is the priority. So our focus should not be consumed with, let's bring it back to us, getting a raise at the office, but getting praise for God. Let me say it again. Our focus should not be getting a raise in the office, but getting praise for God. Not with getting glory for ourselves, but by giving glory to God. That's the focus that honors God. Now, when we lose sight of that, we are tempted to plot revenge. And we forget that suffering is a part of our calling. Suffering. Christ stepped down into greatness. How do we do this? Because of the example. And the example. I gave you an example. Now we're going to talk about the example of Jesus. 2.21. For you have been called for this purpose. Just been talking about this. Since Christ also suffered, here's the example, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. Not to dodge the bullet. Who committed no sin. So why was he suffering? Unjust. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Didn't lie. Only told the truth. And while being reviled, all that hatred and speech and misunderstanding, the whole bunch of rubbish, he did not revile him. He didn't turn it around and sling it back. This is the example while suffering. He uttered no threats. I'll get even. Didn't say that. Have a look at it. But, here's the deal, kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sin on his body on the cross, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you are healed, were healed. So Peter shifts from an example of unfair treatment to the ultimate, the pinnacle of an example that we should follow. Servant to saviour. Peter had just experienced himself. He felt this intimately. He'd experienced firsthand the unjust suffering placed on Jesus' shoulders. He saw it. He smelt it. And you know what his reaction was? Out come the sword. Whoom, off go the priest's servant's ear. He was feisty britches, right? And Jesus said, now put it away. Not godly reaction. Jesus himself was betrayed by a friend. Oh, who was that? Hmm, hmm. Well, first of all, he had Judas, and then Muggins himself, he had Mr. Peter. He blew it at the top of his lungs, right? He saw Jesus rejected by society. He saw that. The populace broad is the way that leads to, what? Destruction. 
Narrow is the way that leads to life. So in the storm of unjust suffering, Jesus gave no hint of revenge. But offered forgiveness to Peter who and and those who crucified him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But the world washes over us this attitude of, I've got to get even. Are you feeling the splinters of the cross of unjust suffering in your life? Has a friend betrayed you? Or has a disaster dropped on your lap that's almost too great to bear. And if you don't fight back, find your way back to the good shepherd who endured the cross and laid his life down for you. So by following the example of Jesus, we can secure an unshakable hope in hurtful times. And here's the benefit that accompanies such obedience as we wrap this up. Looking at the cross can raise many questions. It does for me, many times, even today. Why should this innocent man endure such unjust suffering? He deserved none of it. And by the way, why should we suffer unjustly? Why shouldn't we resist? Why should we submit to the cross of unjust suffering? Because it forces us to return to the shepherd for protection. 1 Peter 2.25, last verse on your outline. So, it says here, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. In other words, you're looking to him, your shepherd for protection. Today, not many of us suffer persecution at the hands of civil government in this country. But as Christians in an increasingly pluralistic society that's growing far less tolerant towards Christianity, we will face challenges from political and social institutions involving unfair treatment. Do not be surprised when it comes. And with the rapid deterioration of Christian values, we're more likely to experience, here it comes, mistreatment in our employment because of our commitment to Christ. Especially if we speak up for the things that he says are important and it offends your conscience in Jesus. But in both of those cases, our natural response, if we're not careful, will likely to be rashly speaking out. But Peter instructs us in a more radical way. In a world that bombards us with a message that urges us to stand up for our personal rights, we're so quick to defend ourselves when somebody stands on our toes and crosses a line and ignores the boundaries, we could often find our lawyer's number faster than we can find a verse. A verse that's calling us to endure hardship. So stop and think. I want to ask you a question. Stop and think. When was the last time you took it on the chin? For the cause of Christ. When did you last surrender your rights for the deliberate purpose of following Christ's example? How rare is it that our fight back culture, or how how, I should say, how rare is it in this fight back culture that we respond like that? So Peter's message to this first century church can feel absolutely staggering. Dizzying, like what? But we simply can't downplay the significance of his call to patiently endure the intolerance, the prejudice, and the unjust treatment that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And because this attitude doesn't flow from us naturally, it can take some time to work through our own personal approach to unfair treatment. And I want you to think about just a couple of questions. Which natural reactions in your life, this is you, not your husband, not your wife, not your partner, to unfair treatment generally characterize your, you, you, you. Do you want to instantly strike back? Do you look for opportunities of revenge or plot strategically to thwart that person? If so, how might, here's a, here's a real question, how might unbelievers perceive Christians and Christianity because of your reactions? God help me, God forgive me for what I've done in the past. Especially that guy with a tire watching. So I'm not standing up here like I've got all this together. It's gotten a whole bunch better. I haven't done it again since. I've been on my best behavior. <laughs> Number two, reflecting on Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Boy, if you want some conviction, you go there this afternoon. How does that teaching apply to everyday situations in your life? Because Jesus didn't give us the word to inform us, but to transform us, to change us. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. How might unbelievers perceive Christians and Christianity if you lived like Jesus called us to in response to harsh and unjust treatment? Now, I admit, we might find, we might enjoy a rush of personal gratification when we stand up for ourselves or exactly revenge against those in authority over us, but Christ tells us there is a better way. So instead of meeting the world slap in the face with a punch in the nose, Christ tells us to turn the other cheek. And instead of retaliating, he would do the opposite. Remember the example. And he'd also commit his case to God, who will one day set all things in order. So as we close this, I want to suggest to you very strongly, we should never let the world's sense of right and wrong dictate our own sense of right and wrong. Because it's woefully wrong. Their direction We must submit to the lordship of a perfect leader who set an example of surrendering personal rights for greater glory. And as followers of Jesus, we must be prepared to suffer. This last verse on the screen, which is not on your outline. Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd along with the disciples. This is going to sort the sheep out, the goats. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me. By the way, that's me, Lord. I want that. Maybe you'd say that too. He must deny himself. Deny yourself revenge. My mother taught me a lesson of that, which cost her $400,000. She refused to compromise. She took it on the chin, the cause of Christ. My, my jewel dropped to the floor as she shone the right thing to do must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is both convicting, encouraging. Help us stand strong against a tide of godlessness in this world without denying you or your will. 
When situations arise, Lord, when we could be tempted to shrink back from representing your interests as faithful ambassadors of your kingdom, Holy Spirit, at that moment, would you please strengthen us? Strengthen us to stand up respectfully when we suffer for righteousness and for the sake of the good news and help us to face it as Jesus did with patience. God, we need patience. With calmness, with courage, and with optimistic confidence that you are in control of our future. And Lord, you will judge this world when you return. We thank you for the reading of your word.